Matthew chapter 28, and I will begin at verse 16. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you so much that you're good, that you're present, and that you desire to be known by your people, God. You don't, you don't hide, and you um, make yourself known and... Um, so that we might be in relationship. And so we ask that right now, Holy Spirit, you would be the one that communicates God's heart and shows us and reveals the Father. And we just thank you that Jesus made this possible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week we talked about uh, Jesus dying and rising again. And he appeared to all his disciples, you know, Thomas and Peter on the beach and the guys on the road to Emmaus and and so that's what's been happening, right? And so this week, we kind of lead into um, Jesus commissioning his disciples and, and everything else like that. And that's us. And so we're going to be looking at today kind of the Great Commission. That's why Derek read that. But also, how does that, what, is, like, what does that look like? And it's an important part of the story because essentially, the story of God doesn't end today. It's just we're a continuation of that, right? Um, one of my, I thought one of the most clever church planning groups um, names that I ever had was called Acts 29. I know there's a lot of stuff that comes with that based on church stuff in the past, but I love the idea of Acts 29 because there is no Acts 29. It sends at 28. We're a continuation of that. And so what we've been doing as we've been looking at the story of God really is we have been studying God's mission. Okay, It's God's mission to redeem humanity reconciling us to himself and to each other and this culminated with Jesus coming and continuing that mission and completing the ministry essentially that mission of reconciliation and restoration through his life death and resurrection Jesus was a missionary of God's mission essentially and what we saw and what we read in Matthew 28 too is that we then have also been commissioned to continue on God's mission. The reason why we want to clarify it that way is I grew up in a church background where mission always involved overseas. Mission was always out of the United States. Or you'd go to a, like a really impoverished part. It would be like a trip, right? Like we're going to spend two weeks and we're going to go in here and we're just going to do all these amazing things, which is awesome. And then we're coming back, right? It was this idea of almost like a cul-de-sac, right? We, we live and we do our life and then we leave it and we do some radical stuff and then we go back and we, right? This cul-de-sac idea of Christianity. And the cool thing is, is God uses that. Like there's, I am not in no way wanting to, to batch it because foreign missions is so necessary because there's tons of people that have never heard of Jesus. 
But if we only look at mission as foreign, if we always look at it as leaving our space, then I think we're missing a huge part of what mission is. Mission is, we are always on mission. Um, a term came up later called missional. My wife hates it. She calls it, we're commissional, because she's just clever that way. I'm going to use it, we're commissional. No. So we've been called on this mission. It's, it involves being a neighbor. It involves being a good worker. It involves being a good um, per, person eating at a restaurant, right? Like, like if, we, if we realize that we're always on mission, it causes an intentionality in how we live everyday life. If we're always under this idea that I'm continuing the ministry of reconciliation and restoration that, that God started with me and he made it possible with one another, then it changes how I see the mundane things of life. And so we have Jesus commissioning us here, right? Before he ascends into heaven, he says, go in all the world and make disciples. Now, this one's a loaded one, right? Because everybody, if you have any background in church, has their idea or their, uh, I guess, presupposition of what, when I say disciple, like there's a million different things that pop through your mind, right? Like discipleship may have a different connotation to you than it might to me. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we talk about disciple and discipleship, what do we mean by that? Well, the pure word means learner, right? But it implies so much more because discipleship wasn't just classroom. So often I think it's reduced to that. It wasn't like these disciples rolled into Jesus and Jesus was like, all right, today's lesson is this, boom, and then they left, right? How were they learning? They were living, they were doing life together, right? Like, the, Jesus did have sermons, but we only have a few recorded they participated in life together. They were learning about Jesus by living with Jesus. And so it is learning, but it is also this highly relational thing. And really the goal of discipleship, being a disciple, is to be more like Jesus. We are all, always making disciples question is, am I making a disciple of Jesus or making a disciple of myself or whatever, right? But the goal of God's heart for this idea of Jesus, go, go make disciples, is make disciples of Jesus, that, the, that we are all being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, another thing about discipleship that I think it's important to remember, and this is very foreign from what I grew up on, is that discipleship begins before belief. If you read the entire, like, Throughout the Gospels, there's always this disciples, 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 thousands disciples, a bunch of disciples left him and followed him no more. Like, they weren't, they weren't even believers, some of them. Discipleship begins before belief. The reason why I say this is important is I grew up in a church culture where once you accepted Jesus into your heart, then you went to a discipleship class, right? And then that's when it began. And it was highly focused on knowledge. And then there's nothing wrong with knowledge because we see that it's, that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, right? It says that in 2 Peter chapter 3. But we had to grow in grace too. So knowledge, I'm not minimizing that. It's very important. We need to know what we believe. We need to know who we believe. But we can't reduce knowledge to, in discipleship to have that be synonymous, right? 
And because discipleship begins before we believe, we can't attach the word conversion in discipleship to synonymous. I've heard this verse quoted from the pulpit before, and I think it was a Freudian slip. I don't think it was intentional. Go into the world and make converts of Jesus. That couldn't be farther from what God Jesus was aiming at. Because if we see discipleship as simply making people say a prayer and accept Jesus into their heart, then we're missing the entire relational dynamic that Jesus set up. And often what happens is we leave people alone to figure it out on their own. Just come to church on Sunday, you'll learn all about Jesus. It's like, no, like learning information about God, I don't even anything like me, it never, it didn't have nearly the profound effect that when the Holy Spirit met me in a, in a powerful way. My understanding of the gospel, I heard it my entire life. I taught it, taught it wrong a lot. Still might, double check me. But it wasn't, it was a moment in an office completely alone where I was stuck doing nothing for a month on end at a church and suddenly like the light bulb came on. I was like, whoa. It was the Lord. It was a moment the Lord had. So we want to learn, but we want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus' discipleship is not top-down. It can be. What I mean by that, it's not like, I think so often we see this idea that it's a mature person brings somebody less mature along. That is discipleship, but that's not only discipleship. I should be able to receive from anyone in this room as a follower of Jesus, and vice versa. We disciple each other, right? In fact, the design of the church was that we would disciple, we would, because that is the work of the ministry, right? Ephesians chapter 4, it says that the overseers and the leaders and all these people, to, were, their job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, right? And so we, the work of the ministry is to make disciples that will grow and make disciples and so forth and so on. And so we're all called to disciple one another. And if we're trying to learn from Jesus on how he did it, that has to take place not just in a Sunday morning, but also in relationship. That's the hard part. Okay? It is easy to walk in on a Sunday, listen to me talk for half an hour, listen to music for half an hour, and then leave. And go, man, nailing this Christianity thing killing it, right? It is hard. It is hard to be known. Because when we're known, we're all known. Like, all parts, right? The awesome parts and the not-so-awesome parts. And that is scary, okay? But that is what this new kingdom that God's calling us into is like. Because unless we're known... We, it's hard for us to accept somebody else's love. Because there's always that lie in the back of the head, but yeah, if they knew this, or if they saw this aspect of you, would you not be rejected? And that causes us to hide. Which hiding, although it feels safe, is the instant byproduct of, of a fallen and broken world. We saw that was the first thing that Adam and Eve did is they hid. They hid from each other and they hid from God. And so we're trying to call each other into this space that is very foreign because we live in a broken world and we too experience brokenness to this, this new life of being known and being loved by each other but also by the Father. And what we're going to look at next week is this idea that our identity being loved by God 
our mission is that we are a group, we're a church that's loved by God, identity. So we want to be first, people loved by God, learning to love God and each other more in everyday life. That's our mission statement. I don't know if you knew that. I don't say it very often. Cameron's always telling me I should. But we have to start in the identity, and then we move into the action. And so, as we're talking about discipleship, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. And we'll look a little bit more of this stuff in the next couple of weeks, and obviously we'll never end on the subject. But um, if you want to see a really quick picture, because I went a lot longer on that than I planned, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17 is a very beautiful picture of what this life looks like of believers doing life together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. There's a lot of us and we and together, and it's beautiful, and I think it's a beautiful picture of what, um, what God's heart is for us. So, go into the world. <laughs> that was step one. Baptizing them in the name. Not the names, but the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Baptize them, new identity. That's huge. We have a new identity. It's almost, it's, this, it's an old identity, but it's restored identity, right? We're, fought, we're children of God. We're part of this new citizenship. We're part of a new family. And he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded them. Jesus commanded a lot of things, but the biggest, and I, the biggest overwhelming commandment he had is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is also part of our mission, right? So we learn, learn to love God and our neighbor. And... I know Matthew 5 has a lot of, of laws thrown in there, but if, if, and often Matthew chapter 5 and a lot of these commandments are used as like the law that we have to follow, but I would say it's a better description of, it's more of a litmus test. If I'm growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, and if I'm growing with one another, and if I'm functioning out of a space of being loved by God and wanting to love him and others, my life will look different. It'll change. I'm, it's going to change how I see relationships and how I see others and how I see God. It's going to change my gentleness. It's going to change me shining and being a city on the hill. It's going to change these things because really, Matthew chapter 5 is God taking the law of Moses and then adding steroids to it and making even larger and more impossible. And ultimately, it's a picture of Jesus saying, Jesus did this. Like, you, you say this, but I say this. Like, you're talking about actions. I'm talking about heart. And I killed all of it. I nailed it. And then I was killed, right? Because you failed at it. And so the, the teaching them all to observe what I commanded, it is coming through the lens of loving God and loving others because we are loved by the Father. And it's teaching them really um, that, that mission. And Jesus closes with, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we're going to touch on that at the very end, this idea of Jesus being with us, the Spirit of God. And so what does this look like? It involves a lot of what I talked about, but it is communicating the gospel. And what we've been looking at over the last 10 weeks is the story of God is the mission of God, which is culminated in Christ. It is good news. And when we say the gospel, we need to be aware that in that context, in that time, often when a king or a ruler would come into a space and conquer it, or there'd be a new king, they would send heralds through the land proclaiming the king, proclaiming the victory. 
They were called evangelists. What they were doing was heralding the good news. And so Jesus, in this context, this Roman context that the people are very aware of, used similar language for them to understand why he was here. And so he used terminology like gospel and the good news that he is this new king that's coming into this space to rule in a new kingdom that looks very different than the kingdom you're used to under a Roman heavy oppression or the kingdom that you envisioned would come when the Messiah showed up. And so for the Jew, Jesus saying this, because Jesus kept always talking about believe the gospel he, before he even died. But for the Jew hearing Jesus communicate this, he's saying, I'm the promised son of David. I am the king that you were waiting on. I just look different. Because Jews were his primary context. But for the rest of the world, including us, Jesus is saying, I am the blessing to the whole world that goes all the way back before a lot of this stuff. Before the law was created and all these other things. And that's for us. And so Jesus being the blessing of the whole world, what is that? A lot of this that I've been following Jesus for a while is review, but we always want to be reminded. What does it mean? How is somebody made in right relationship with God? First and foremost, we are forgiven. We can never minimize that. That we are forgiven. The idea that we have sinned against a God that is holy and perfect, and we continue at times to do that, and that God has forgiven us as we're guilty. And when I was younger, I didn't really understand why that was so significant. I understood the sin part, but why couldn't God just say, you're good, right? Because then he wouldn't be just. I mean, we, we, especially these days, we live in a society that is obsessed with justice, which is good. We need more justice. We let a lot of things go. But when innocent, when guilty goes free, we lose our mind. Why would we expect anything less from a holy and perfect God? So God having to deal with guilt somebody had to pay and that was Jesus he died the death we deserve so that we could be forgiven and like we looked out last week God poured out his wrath the punishment on Jesus fancy word named propitiation and Jesus was separated from God so that we wouldn't have to be as he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me and he ended it with it is finished because it was And we're accepted. And I've talked about this a lot as well, but the idea of Jesus, the good news is that somebody can be acceptable to God is that Jesus being the true image bearer, unlike Adam being the original image of God, Jesus was obedient to the point of death. And unlike Israel where they failed miserably obeying the law, Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. He did everything necessary to make somebody acceptable to a holy and perfect God. Everything required by God be in relationship with him. He lived it out perfectly for us so that we could be worthy and accepted. And he, the third thing is he, we're invited in. I think this is very like, well, duh, but let's think about this. I grew up in a space where I was inviting God into my life. That's what I was always challenged with. Are you invited Jesus in your heart? There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's just, I do, actually there is something wrong with that. Okay? God is not We're not inviting God into our life. He's inviting us into His. 
And if we have this mindset that God is just a part of our life, we will live like it. He is a part of our life? No, he is life, and he has given me life, and he has invited me into this space. And with that comes a lot, like I'm living under a new king, with a new kingdom. He's inviting us in. He's done everything necessary. And it's an open invitation. It is an open invitation for everybody, and his invite is free. And he's done everything. He's paid every toll, everything necessary. He's fulfilled everything necessary for us, and all he's asking us is, do you want what I'm offering? It's like a permanent handout. Just take it. And what all that we do is we trust, which is what faith means. We say, I believe that. I believe that what you had to offer, I believe that. I, I, I believe you are who you are. Like the thief, of, the thief on the cross, right? Remember me when you come to your kingdom. You're a king, and you're the king that I've been waiting for, and you're coming to your kingdom. Remember me. He believed it. He trusted. And we accept that, and God does this amazing work. Trusting is the key. It's how we start, and it's how we continue. I almost think about like blind Bartimaeus. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What he was saying is, Lord, I trust you, but help the times I don't trust you. Help me not like it changes how we look at it because I've heard so many people say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus and I would like to ask him, but do you believe him? Because believing in God and believing him are very different. One says I know he exists, the other one says like his existence affects me as a person. And I, I ask myself this all the time, this so often is in my prayer, Lord, I trust you. Or, Lord, I don't trust you. Just help my, my trust. I want to trust you in this. For me, it just gives it more tangibleness in regard to what it's belief. I think so often we throw on faith. Just got to have faith. Okay, what does that even mean, man? Like faith in what? You can have faith in anything. Faith is only as strong as the direction that it's pointed at. And so... We're invited in, and the moment we do this, God begins to do this new work in us. Our spirit is made alive. Okay, That's where the, the idea of born again, I know it gets thrown around and it's scary to a lot of people, but the idea is our spirit comes alive. We're, there's an aspect of us that's born that wasn't born before. And our spirit becomes alive, and it's evident because suddenly our desires change, and things that we thought we wanted aren't the case anymore, and we start longing for different things because God's changing us from the inside out. And so with that brings the fourth idea, and that is that we're empowered. So for those that receive, really, this free gift, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. And this is really a beautiful thing, and I just wanna, we're going to end in this space a little bit as we think about, just think about the temple, okay? Everyone in here, I know you pretty well. You guys have walked with Jesus a significant amount of time. You're very familiar with the temple of Israel, or mostly, Right? This was a space where God's presence dwelt. His presence dwelt there. The only place in the entire world where God promised, I will always, I will be in this space. And for someone to have communion with God, it would involve going to this place. But they wouldn't be able to go without sacrifice. They wouldn't be able to go without a gift. But it would involve obedience 
And what I love as I read through, sounds crazy, reading through like Deuteronomy or Leviticus. Next time you read it, if you ever want to try reading it, read it through this, try this perspective. If you can make it through. God is super relational. He set up mandatory feasts so you could come and celebrate with him. You want to really blow your mind? Read the, the part on tithing in the, Old, in the Old Testament. You know what the tithe was? You would take all your, your 10%. You would take it with you to the temple, and it says, when you get there, buy whatever food or drink. Invite people and enjoy this meal with God. I love it when pastors talk a lot about tithing. And I'm not, not against, obviously. But I was like, do you ever read it, what actually it was? You talk about Old Testament tithe. Like, it was this moment. God said, hey, your your best that you have, come and enjoy a meal with me and invite your friend and your neighbor and the Levite and let's have this meal together. Buy whatever you want with your favorite food, your favorite drink, come. I want you, I'm commanding you to separate this amount of time, this amount of money from me. God desired relationship. They had feasts that would come and celebrate God and enjoy feasts together. It was highly relational. And the law was to be fulfilled so you could enjoy that relationship. And so when God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, that you are the temple of God. With that comes this idea of deep relationship with the Father. And because Jesus is the sacrifice that was necessary. And because Jesus fulfilled the law that was required, humans no longer had to do anything to have relationship with God. And now, rather than God dwelling in a building, He's dwelling with us. And we can have communion with Him whenever we want. That is a beautiful picture. Constant communion, relational connection, And with that, he's changing us, giving us new desires, giving us new strengths. And although it's at moments at time, we as human beings are able to image God again. We're able to function as we were originally designed. And although, yes, we have sin and brokenness still that deters that at times, there is moments where we get to shine Jesus. But not just that. Think about this. That's for us. If somebody wanted to know the one true God, they had to travel. They had to spend time and effort. I think about the Ethiopian eunuch. He came all the way from Ethiopia, spent tons of money to know the God, bought a book, a scroll, which was like insanely expensive. Like he needed, he wanted, he had to travel, he had to go. It took effort. Because God only exists in this one space. But now, because of what Jesus has done, because the Spirit of God lives in us, God sends His temple to people. He sends His presence to others. He sends the presence and the holiness and the beauty and the image of God to our neighbor and to our coworker and to our server at whatever restaurant. It's beautiful. God sends his presence to the world through us. 
as we continue his mission to reconcile everyone. That is the mission. And I think it's just absolutely gorgeous. And so, with that, let's reflect on that. For us, what does it look like for us? Maybe this is the first time you're processing this idea that we're missionaries, that we're on mission, that what that looks like. But it's not us just going and telling somebody. It might involve us telling somebody about Jesus. Hopefully it, it results in that. But being on mission and being the fragrance of Christ um, doesn't always have to inver- involve dialogue. It doesn't always have to involve, um, like it, we're not failing if we don't share the gospel, the Roman road. Like I free you of that. Like are we shining Jesus? That, that the Lord will use opportunities for us to come up and we want to point them to Christ and we want to have, you know, that conversation might come up and we want to pray for that because that's how people might know Jesus. But mission doesn't always have to involve us preaching at people or a conversation. It might just be mean loving my neighbor in a space that they're at. So as we're reflecting on goodness and just greatness of God and just coming and enjoying a meal with God, let's have one today. Come to the table. Partake of the body. Partake of the cup. Remembering what Jesus has done for us. And also as we reflect, as we leave here today, let's process and pray. Just what does it look for us to be more on mission and, or, or areas that maybe we're we haven't been enjoying that aspect of Jesus and what he's called us to do, maybe with our neighbors. So let me just pray.